How many people are believing for favor? Make some noise. And maybe you have not seen God's favor happen yet, but I have. I've already seen the favor of God happen in my life, and I brought a testimony of the favor of God to show you this morning. So turn your attention to the screen. I was 130 yards out, buddy, and it went in. It went. It looks like it was gonna make it. It looks like it was gonna pause. Yep. But then the wind blew it to the left. Dallas. And put it right in the Daddy's never gotten an eagle before. Come on, let's go. I got an eagle. Somebody praise yes, God. Go, 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 get it. that is wow come on somebody give God a shout of praise now if you don't know what that means in golf you have on a par four you have four opportunities to get the ball to go into the cup if you get the ball to go into the cup in four tries it's called a par if you do it in three tries it's called a birdie if you do it in two tries it's called an eagle if you do it in one try it's called a hole in one very few people in God's kingdom, I'm going to say that again for somebody believing for favor. Very few people in God's kingdom have ever gotten an eagle on a par four. Typically, you get an eagle on a par five. Come on, anybody in here golf? Does anybody know how hard it is to get an eagle on a 400? So God is already working in my life. Let that give you some faith today that God can do the impossible. Honestly, they had nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to show y'all that your boy hit a 140-yard shot and it went in. Praise God. I need y'all to cheer a little louder. Somebody in the back, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Everything. Uh, I want to preach a message today called Covenant Over Calling. Covenant Over Calling. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. The more that I talk about being made for this and really believing that we are going to experience unprecedented favor, which means God, uh, God's undeserved kindness, undeserved kindness. The more that I lean into this vision, the more that I realize that, that, that our temptation in this season, number one, is going to be that we deserve whatever God's going to do. Favor is undeserved. You cannot work for what I'm talking about. You have to work through what I'm talking about. You cannot work for what I'm talking about. So the number one temptation is we're going to think that we deserve what God is going to do. What God wants to do doesn't line up with your work ethic. It doesn't line up with your faith. It has to transcend even what you believe or what you are willing to do to be real favor. Favor is God's undeserved kindness and mercy to us. The second temptation is that we're going to believe God for only practical things that this lifetime has to offer. And we're going to bypass what is the greatest act of favor of all time, and that is the new covenant. Someone say new covenant. Uh, other words, the New Testament. So if you don't understand covenant, you will miss your calling. Does that make sense? Covenant is agreement. 
is an agreement, a divine agreement that God has made with his people. And if you read the Old Testament, the whole te Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. It is something that is new. And many of us still live in the Old Covenant. And we cannot walk in a New Covenant calling with an Old Covenant mentality. So I wanted to explain to you that throughout the church, growing up, I was exposed to the Old Covenant. Do this and God will bless you. If you don't do this, God will not bless you. Our nation has to be uh, uh, living for God in order to be blessed. If we break God's laws, we cannot be blessed. Tithe so that you will be blessed. If you don't tithe, there's a curse on your finances. That is a lie from the pit of hell because the Bible says in Galatians that Christ dying on the cross broke every curse over your life, including financial curses. So when I threaten you to get you to give, I am outside of the new covenant and I'm welcome to the old covenant. Does that make sense? You never want, let anyone threaten you with a curse for not doing what God has asked you to do because God has fulfilled all of your obligations. you got to understand this. This is even a part of my... God, in an Old Testament covenant, here's what would happen. God would say, if you do, then I will. If you obey, then I will bless you. And how many people know that that didn't go very well? That people broke their end of the bargain. So often what would happen is, is, is in the Old Testament, and you got to understand, you got to break this down, is they would make a covenant with someone. And then they, it would be blood covenants. So somebody would kill an animal, and they would cut the animal in half, and both people would walk through the sacrificed animal, symbolizing that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, somebody's going to die. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your homie saying to you, hey, can I borrow $300, 300 bucks until I get paid? How many people have been duped into doing that and then they disappear on you, make some noise? So imagine you saying, okay, I got you. I'll give you the $300, but, but are you going to pay me back on your payday? They say yes. And you take an animal and you cut it in half and both of y'all traipse through the blood symbolizing if you don't give me my money, what happened to this animal is going to happen to you. You'd get your money back real quick. If you understand how our faith began, our faith began with a man by the name of Abraham. Say Abraham. And the Bible says God made a promise to Abraham that if Abraham would obey him, that God would bless not just him, but his entire family for generations and generations. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Abraham was told that through him, all nations would be blessed. Can you imagine getting a promise like that? That 5,000 years from now, because of your obedience, because of your obedience, people 5,000 years from now will be blessed. So Abraham did what anybody would do during that time where there was the old covenant, is he took an animal and he cut it in half because he was going to walk through the animal and God himself was going to walk through the animal. But the Bible says that God put Abraham in a deep sleep right at the moment where the, where the animal was cut in half. And it says that God sent a flaming torch representing the power of God to pass through the pieces while Abraham was asleep. 
which means that God was giving humanity a prophecy. Yes, if you obey me, then I will. But I'm sending Jesus to fulfill your half of the covenant so that all you would need to do is believe that I sent Jesus and that is all I need from you. I will take it from here. Somebody shout to God for favor. So when he put Abraham to sleep, he was prophesying that, yes, there's two sides of the covenant. The old covenant is God has a side and you have a side. If you break your side, God leaves. He's not, you're not in his presence anymore. You're not blessed. You cannot follow him. The new covenant is Jesus obeyed God on your behalf so that your new covenant looks different than the old covenant. This is the biggest act of favor. So in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, we're going to read about God promising the new covenant because you cannot live in your calling if you misunderstand the covenant. Because I'm hearing a lot of stories of what people are believing for, but this is the number one thing you need to understand is the power of the new covenant. All right, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 uh, through 34, and God says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, God's people, that we're all included in that, and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. Isn't that an interesting language? Do you know the church is called the bride of Christ? Like it's literally saying what I had with them was like a marriage. This was not just like an arrangement. This was a holy covenant. And then he goes on to say, uh, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. And what's after that time? After sending Jesus. And listen to this covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Do y'all know how powerful this is? Like, I want to break down these four aspects of this covenant because I feel like if we're not careful, we can sit in church and we can be inspired, but we're not informed. And I'm challenging myself, especially in this next season, to be a real Bible teacher. And that we don't have Bible illiteracy because Bible illiteracy leads to dream deficiency. My shoe came untied. That was so fire. My shoe was tied two seconds ago, and the devil untied my shoe trying to get me to trip up, but it ain't going to happen. I said Bible illiteracy leads to dream deficiency. Do you know how many people? I'm learning this. Have you? When people are struggling, I ask them, have you been in your word? I'm not talking about have you read four chapters before you went to bed. I'm not talking about the length of time. I'm talking about if you read one scripture and believed it and let that scripture get deep down in your spirit, it would transform your thinking and your heart. A lot of times dreams are dying because the word is not alive in our life. 
And what is the word of God? He said this, I will put my law not on the ballot, but in the heart. So where the church is messing up is they want the law on the ballot, not in the heart. There's no greater, you can't vote. God needs to put it in a place where it can be effective. And it, is never, it wasn't even effective on the piece of stone that God wrote with his own finger. How is it going to be effective with the pen of a politician and it wasn't effective with the finger of God? He wrote the law with his finger. He wrote the law with his finger on stone and it didn't work. It didn't work. Matter of fact, Moses came down the mountain with the law and saw the people worshiping an idol, and he broke the Ten Commandments in half. When we see people worshiping God, other gods, we break the rules in half, and we go back and meet with God again. That's what happened when he saw them. He, he broke the Ten Commandments in half, and he went again and met with God. Until the church is willing to break the rules in half and go meet with God again, we need another plan. This didn't work. This is what Moses did. But does that make the law not holy? No. So you have grace churches and you have law churches. Grace churches think they can do whatever they want and not follow God's word. And, God, and, and law churches don't believe in grace. When Jesus came full of grace and truth. And it's not an argument over the law. You got to be careful. We need laws. This nation needs godly laws. But where they're most effective is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. It's not whether the old covenant has laws and the new covenant has laws. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is where the law is. So, so when you determine on whether or not a law is godly, the law is godly whether it's on a ballot or whether it's in your heart. But if you don't care where it is, welcome to religion. As long as it's there. I don't care if it's in your heart. I'll take it on a ballot. That's religion. When God is like, no, 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 no. I want the law to be effective. So the first thing that changed, and we got to be careful we don't do this. We live in a culture where we're devaluing the law and calling it freedom. Does that make sense? We need to know what God's word says about sexuality. You know why? Because and we do, here, here's, our, here's how you know if something's right or wrong, if everybody does it. You don't, need to, you don't need a preacher to tell you what's right or wrong. If everybody did it, what would happen? If everybody did sexuality God's way, where a man married a woman and he was only with that woman, rape would be gone, prostitution would be gone, divorce would be gone, Half of the reason y'all are in here needing a word would be gone. And the reason why there's such a fight for equality is because women are fighting for the right to step up and do things that men should be doing. Can I just, give me one, give me one woman that you can tell me that did something to ruin the world. Give me one. You can't give me a female Hitler. You can't give me a female Mussolini. You can't give me a female Fidel Castro. You can't give me one. Matter of fact, you can't even give me a woman in the Bible. 
who was known for encountering God and ruined something. Except for Eve. And Eve came from Adam. Eden, Eden was a woman who came from Adam's rib. So God has designed women through spiritual DNA to be the byproduct of men. So if the enemy wants to make women unhealthy, he makes men unhealthy. Come on, I'm preaching right now. And so what I'm saying is the location now cannot be in the man. Because that's where God put the law in the beginning. He put it in Adam. Adam messed up because he watched his wife do something he knew wasn't God. He said, that fruit does look good, though. I ain't going to front. And ate it, too. <laughs> he didn't even tell her, girl, what are you doing? He was like, he saw her smacking on that fruit. <laughs> oh, I hate when people eat like that. <laughs> Clean your teeth outside of my presence, please. So he saw Eve in the garden just, and they stick the finger in there. To do, come on, man. And he said, let me get some of that. So what happens is he, the, the, the Lord said, I can't put the law on man. So let me put it on a stone tablet. That didn't work either. So I want you to understand something about the law. You have to understand this. God has never given up on trying to find the right place for the law. Can I just preach to somebody to Grace is not the absence of the law. Grace is God never stopping to find the right place to put it. And he said, you know what? I put it in Adam, it didn't work. I put it on a stone tablet, that didn't work. What else can I do? Because the law is meant to bless you, not restrict you. So he says, I know what I'm going to do in the new covenant. I'm going to put it on your heart. And religious people say, no, ballot. And wicked people say, no, nowhere. So don't think you better when I bring up religious people. Because we, we don't want it to be anywhere. I want to do me. But you know that Romans 1 says that God's greatest punishment for humanity is letting them do them? He says, so he left them to themselves to do whatever their wicked hearts desire. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is God lets you do you. Please, God, don't let me do me. Anybody say, Lord, don't let me do me. Anybody in need of salvation because you've been doing you? Come on, I don't want to do me. I don't want to do that. So he, out of grace, changed the location of the law. He took it off of a piece of paper, and he's putting it in the heart of believers. So what we could do to prepare ourselves for the unprecedented favor is say, God, I don't want the law to be on a ballot. Yes. I don't want the law to be in another person that has to tell me. Lord, I have figured out the perfect location for your laws and your word, and it is right here. Holy Spirit, write it on my heart. Does that make sense? And so this is new covenant mentality. And if you want it anywhere else, you have an old covenant mentality. If you don't want it at all, you have a wicked mentality. 
That's why you cannot find God in any in any political party because one party doesn't want it at all, wickedness. One party wants it in a certain place, religion. It is the location of the law that makes you a Christian. And that's here. And that's God's responsibility. Notice he says, you don't, you, you're going to do a Bible study for eight hours until it gets deep down in there. He says, no, I'm going to do it. I got you. Your job is to want it by faith. And God goes, I got you. I got you. I'll, I'll, I'll put it where it will be most effective on your heart. So the number one change of the old covenant is the location of the law. Write that down. The location of the law goes from a piece of paper to the heart of believers. You've got to understand this. Because if it's not in your heart, it will bring spiritual death. If you are obeying something that's in the Bible, you're, it's going to kill you spiritually. Did you know that? Did you know that it's in the Bible is the worst excuse to do something as a new covenant Christian? No, it's in my heart. I'm being convicted about it. And if we're not careful with our young people, we tell them not to do things because it's in the Bible. No, one of the greatest things to get that Bible in your heart is, is someone leading by example. So if I can be the best example, we were walking into a, um, a game last night, and Dallas was like, I cannot believe we get to do this. I said, man, it's God, son. I didn't get to do this before I was following God. I'm trying to be an example to my son. Not give him a demand that I have not been an example of. And then it says this. Here's the second part. I will be their God and they will be my people. So we belong to each other. That's my wife sitting down there. I'm her husband. That's not an arrangement. It is a belonging. It's an ownership. She's mine. I'm hers equally. That's what he's saying. I will be their God. To the people who think that I could never be their God, I will belong to them. I want to be with you. Can you imagine the most perfect person there ever was wanting to be with you? Not wanting to change you, wanting to be with you. See, people who don't love you want to change you from the outside in. People who love you want to see you change from the inside out. That's why he says, I'm going to put it in your heart, and then I'm going to be with you. Before you even get to change anything, I'm there. So, so he's saying, I'm going to be there. Where before, if you didn't get the law right, he left. That was the agreement. And you agreed. It wasn't like God was doing that to be mean. That's what you agreed to. You said, if you don't do your part, God, you're free to go. It was a, a two-sided relationship. Do you know God loves you so much that he changed the two-sided relationship to a one-sided relationship? Do you know how much I would have to love Christina? Our, our relationship to be healthy is two-sided. But what if Christina just over years and years and years stopped doing that? What if I just for years and years and years stopped fulfilling my part of the agreement to be your husband? And she said, I need to change it because the old covenant, we promised to keep each other. So let me create a new covenant where I just promised to keep you. You know how much you got to love somebody? Or be codependent. <laughs> One or the other. But since humans aren't holy enough, it's always codependency when we do that. So I'm not asking you to do that. That boo that keep not coming home till four in the morning, what did Prophet Beyonce say? 
to the left, to the left. Like she said it twice just so that brother's suitcase could be that far away from you. But, but what I'm saying is God, because he's holy, he has the capacity to handle unholiness. And so he says, I'm going to be with you. And then he gives an interesting part of the, of, of the new covenant in verse 3. So he changes the location of the law. He promises to be with you. And watch this, number three. This is the part where we don't get. And most pastors don't want you to get. I'm not even sure if I want you to get it. Because I lose my job if part three happens. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. As the new covenant progresses, you lose the need to have a priest or a pastor tell you anything about God. Did you know that? So the, the idea of the church is that we empty the church into the streets. And then we gather periodically because we've been busy changing the world prophetically. That's how it meant. That's why there were seven commanded celebrations in the Bible where everybody had to be there. So you don't need to be there every Sunday, but there are seven Sundays you probably should clear your schedule. That's what it was. But not because you're busy golfing, although I get it. But because you're busy being a vessel of the Holy Spirit in other places. Does that make sense? I met someone last night who based, a, a couple days ago, I don't even remember who it was. I don't even know if it was in our, but they literally could not play sports because sports were on Sundays. So if they had a game, we missed the game. We got to go to church. And I'm like, man, I don't know. What if you were called to that? What if you were called to that? I want you to do what you're called. So I want to be able to equip you so you can go in the places that you're called. Now, now there are some, some, some things that I, I think you should be here every Sunday for, but sometimes God moves in a way where it might be best for you to be in another place that Sunday. But there are certain ordained days that you need to be there. What he's saying is you're not at church. As the new covenant unfolds, you don't need Pastor Julian anymore. So Pastor Julian loses his identity as a pastor if you grow. Same way, like, pastors should be experiencing the same thing parents experience when they go to college. is empty nest syndrome. And you know how eagles, not chickens, who live on the ground. You know how eagles get rid of their young? They change the sticks in the nest so that when the eagle tries to land, the sticks poke and hurt and harm. Sometimes your church hurt is God changing the sticks in the nest to get you to step outside and do something for God in the world. Can I preach to someone? Why do you always have to be angry or hurt or mad to leave? Go do what God has called you to do. Does that make sense? And so he's saying, can I break this down always? Let me tell you, let me give you my favor, church. Let me give you my favor. I'm going to move the law from the ballot to your heart. I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm going to move it. I'm going to move it from the ballot to your heart. And then I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And then you're not going to need to get a prophetic word from Julian anymore because what I used to have to teach you, you're already going to know because you've been with me. And this is where most leaders stop. 
I want to teach you just enough to keep you coming back to me. But my goal before I'm done pastoring is to be useless when it comes to your ability to hear from God. Because that is the new covenant. And can I give you the last one? I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You know that person that goes, I will forgive, but I'll never forget. You did not forgive. You, when somebody says that, I will forgive, but I will never forget. You did not forgive. The Bible says that love keeps no record of doing wrongs. We're not counting how many people have died. We're not counting. Who's keeping count? Religion is keeping count. When you're keeping count, you're religious. This is the fifth time you have done this to me. And I'm like, and now if it's the fifth time in a week, keep count. Because that person's toxic. But to be honest, you have a forgiveness issue if it was like once in 82. Nine to one, you, you went left on me. And in 2005, wait, like, how long is your memory? Most believers have memory for bad things and have amnesia for good things. So I'm not telling you not to forget that all the bad things that are happening to you, but why are we so better, much better at remembering all the awful things that someone said to us? Your, your, your husband or your wife says something mean to you, it can be 03. You hold on to it. You put it in a journal. I remember when you said that to me. But they say you look good, and you're like, okay, whatever. Like, we don't, we don't take compliments well. We don't. And he's saying, like, I'm going to literally erase my memory. God who sees all and is an eternal being says, I will forget. Not set aside. Forget. Which means that when you repent and you're forgiven, that means that the temptation of the enemy is you live in your past while God lives in your future. He doesn't even remember what you did. You could say, God, when you, remember that time? No, I forgot. Why are we always trying to remind God of something he forgot? God, can I call your attention to that time that I, I was sleeping around? He's like, I forgot that until you brought it up. Why are we always bringing up these negative? This is the power of the new covenant that God literally will change the location of the law to your heart. He wants to be your God. You won't need priests and pastors to help you encounter the Lord. And he will forgive and forget. If you think about the old covenant, the law was on a tablet. Or when we try to go back to the old covenant, it's on a ballot. We need pastors and priests. In certain denominations, you're not even allowed to read the Bible. Only the priests can read you the scriptures. So that, that, that's change. We're not, God, God is this entity that is not, does not belong to us. He just way up. And then in the Old Testament, he, he, he put your sins on the next generation for a thousand years. So we got to be careful using these terminology of generational curses. That's not true. You don't have a generational curse. It can stop with you if you want it to. Those are choices, not curses. And if we're not careful, we make choices and call them curses. 
I don't know what's going on in my life. I'm just cursed. Nah, man. Didn't nobody tell you to go to the club and talk to Roy? This is a great club name, Roy. Anybody here named Roy? Sorry. Just Roy at the bar talking about, I'm under curse. It's happened to my mama. Happened to me. Happened to... No. No, your choices can free you. So this is, this is, is important. And you got to understand this too about the old covenant is that when you would sin, there would be a sacrifice. So how many people know that Jesus is the sacrifice of our sin? How many people know that? Clap your hands if you know it. The issue is many of you don't believe it because Jesus as a sacrifice in the old covenant replaced the way that they would sacrifice. They would bring an animal and the priest would inspect the animal. And as long as the animal was perfect, then the person was forgiven of their sin. If they would have inspected the person, the person would die. But they inspected what was perfect to be to exonerate who was imperfect. So then now, if we are examining ourselves and not Jesus, then we're always going to self-condemn. We spend more time examining ourselves and people than Jesus, which is why we are self-condemning and condemn them. But if you would look at a person who is not perfect and examine the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, if you examine Jesus long enough, you would eventually let them go and free them of everything they owe you and everything they did wrong because you are examining their sacrifice. So you know the Bible says we're all priests? which means we all have a responsibility to examine the sacrifice, not people. This is life-changing. It's the greatest favor we could ever experience. I want to take you real quick to Jeremiah 2, verse 5, where Jesus says this, where he's brokenhearted about um, of, 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 of how people responded to him. He says, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. It says they went after worth, worthlessness and became worthless. You know, we tell people to know their worth. If you pursue things that are unworthy, you eventually become worthless. So the pursuit of an unworthy person to be with will eventually make you feel worthless. The pursuit of unworthy things. So, so, so that's why when we say God is worthy of worship, we're saying if we pursue what is worthy, we become worthy. But if we pursue what is worthless, we become worthless. Self-worth is a byproduct of your pursuits. I'm about to throw, I'm going to say it again. Self-worth is a byproduct of your pursuits. If you pursue worthy things, you increase your self-worth. Nobody in, that is pursuing another hit of a pipe feels worthy. But if you pursue God and you pursue kingdom, you will eventually find yourself in the greatest state of worth. The Bible says seek first the kingdom and everything you worry about will be added to you. So seek the kingdom. Kingdoms have laws, kingdoms have ways, kingdoms have culture. And it says if you seek the kingdom and his righteousness. So if you seek God and the character of God, the things you're praying about God will add to you. You'll become more, 
Anybody want more net worth? You know what kingdom net worth is? The gap between what you have and your relationship with the Lord. So if you had a lot of money and nothing of God, you're in the negative. If you have a little bit of money and a lot of God, that's why it says blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? It is the gap between what you have and your value between what you have and your value between having the Lord. This is so fire. I want you to write one more thing down. The greatest favor God could give you is the ability to quickly and joyfully respond to his word. Can you believe for that in this seven years? And I'm believing with you for the, for the family to be restored. I'm believing with you for miracles. I'm believing with you for finances. I hope you get the promotion. I believe all that stuff is coming. But, but I want you to pray. I want to pray as a church that the Holy Spirit would shorten the gap between what he says and our obedience. So it would be synchronized where God could say something and I don't need to hear from God. I'm already doing it. God, will you put your word in my nature so I naturally do what you used to have to tell me to do? I don't want you to always have to speak to me. I don't want to be in a prayer closet for five days. I want you to tell me and then I do it. I want to ask the team to come up real quick because this is so important that we understand this. That the, the favor is likeness with God. That we would be like God because everyone who is like God has what God has. The Bible says if God did not spare his own son, won't he freely with him give us all things? You know what all means in the Greek? It means all. So it says Jesus is a combo deal with my dreams. If I have Jesus, I'll have that stuff. It literally breaks it down. And so I want you to understand this as we believe God and pray. You know the scripture in the Bible, I want to read this passive scripture. I'm, I'm way over time because I showed that golf video and, you know, tried to bless Brother Mike. And they dug into my time. They didn't even start my clock over. They just like, oh, you're going to bless Mike and show the golf video. This is your time. But how many of us know God is an eternal God? Put more time on the clock in Jesus' name. Show that up. Nope, still negative. <laughs> that prayer didn't work. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 18. What do you think makes a good church? Somebody yell it out. What makes a good church? Well, some of us might say great worship, great preaching, community, love. That's not what makes a great church. 2 Corinthians 3 gives us a clue what makes a great church. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter, the only resume we need is y'all. Your life is a letter of recommendation. Do, do, he literally says, if I want to show the church's resume, it's you. It's you. David and Kimmy are on my resume. If I put a resume as a pastor, it's not the places I preach. It's not the conferences I attended. It's you. It's JC. It's Megan. It's Lane and Ivy. It's y'all. It ain't got nothing to do with me. It doesn't matter what I've done or what my education is. 
I believe if a pastor puts a resume, it ain't where he went to Bible college. It ain't how much he's preached. It ain't how long he's been in ministry. If you want to recommend me, talk to the people. Is God transformed people in this place? Are lives restored? Do people have faith? That's the resume of the church are the transformed lives of people. He says, your lives are a letter written in our hearts and everyone can read it and, rec and recognize our good work among you. The responsibility of the church is everyone can read the prophetic letter that is your transformed life. So when you come to church and you are transformed by God, when you go out into the audition, you become a letter from God to the person you're auditioning in front of. And they say, God's trying to tell me something through the way you live your life. I believe if we're going to experience seven years of favor, we're going to find it in people. When they walk into rooms, they are a love letter from God directly to the people they're encountering. It's changing the place where the, the letters are. And if we're willing in this season, I know we have personal convictions, but if we are willing to at least adopt the first half part of the covenant where God changes the location of the law. I've been vacillating. I always feel like I'm not liberal enough for liberals and I'm not conservative enough for conservatives. So I've been studying the Bible to, and, and the God's like, that's not the place where I want it. That's not the place where I want it. Interesting enough, this was said about religious leaders in the Bible. You know what Jesus said about Pharisees? He says, do everything they tell you, but don't be like them. They're right about the truth, but I don't want you to be like that. And the hardest thing that makes the church is when truth tellers are people we don't want to be like. You start rejecting the good things. My mother was very harsh on me earlier and she was high on education. And so I didn't, my mother said to me when, this when I was uh, in the uh, uh, 12th grade, and she was mean to me. I don't even remember getting a hug from my mother, rest in peace, she was 19, uh, I was 19 when she passed. But she said to me, and I was smart, a genius, she said to me, I was struggling in school, and she said to me, if you don't graduate, I'll be so embarrassed. I already have people coming out here for your graduation from other states. And I wanted to hurt my mother how she hurt me. So second semester of my senior year, I stopped going to school and did not walk in my high school graduation because I wanted my mother to feel what I had been feeling. So her disappointment in the house, like it, it, it changed me because I sat on a curb and I was listening to the names. I sat on a curb outside of the high school and I was listening to them call the names and they got to the L's and they skipped me. And I remember this thing came over me that for the rest of my life, I had to prove that I could do and be successful without doing what my mother had told me to do because I didn't want to be like her. And I wish somebody had read the scripture, do everything she tells you, but don't be like her. Because she was right, but she was wrong. So I didn't know that she was right. And so the idea of me is I want to live a life where people don't reject a really difficult truth from me because I'm not living my life in a way that makes them feel loved, that makes them feel cared for, and makes them feel seen. 
So if we can adopt this idea of changing the location of the law, because my mom put the law on a piece of paper, and if she would have put it in my heart, son, you got this. Matter of fact, my mom would have said, you'll never get into Harvard. That's where I would have went to prove her wrong. From that moment on, I became obsessed with making money. And when I made six figures by the time I was 25, I said, see, I made more money than my mother without doing it my mother's way. But I was broken, lost, and hopeless. And God came and wrote in my heart what my mom was trying to. And now I read more books. I educate myself more than anything I've ever, because God came when my mom tried to put on a piece of paper and he put it in my heart. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you today. That's what the Lord wants to do for you today. I want to pray for you today. God's face is shining on you today. I believe the Lord wants to bless you. Why don't you stand to your feet? Holy Spirit, I believe right now you are writing something on the hearts of your people. Things that maybe they've heard through a vessel they're not excited about. But just like Jesus, I believe they're supposed to listen to that, but it's supposed to come from you. Maybe someone told them they weren't good enough. Maybe someone told them something, but Holy Spirit, I know you want to write something on somebody's heart today that, that takes them from the old covenant to the new covenant. Lord, will you write your word and your laws on the, on the hearts of people, that you'll be our God and that we'll be your people, that they won't need to watch 50,000 sermons from pastors just to encounter you, and that they would understand that their sins through repentance are forgiven and forgotten. And so Holy Spirit, will you bring somebody into the new covenant today that's been trapped in the old, so that you can do a great work in their lives, so that we can see lives restored, so that we can see people healed, so that we can see people delivered of dark spirits of depression and anxiety, all in the name of Jesus. Not so that we can be comfortable, but so that your name could be glorified. That we would see a city restored to its original intent to be a vessel of hope for the Spirit of Christ. And God, that we would see uh, children raised up in the presence of God that would know that this God is their God. Not the God of their parents, but their God. And that God, you would give someone the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing right here in this place right now. That someone who's sitting in the back would be raised up and believe that even they could pursue God. Even they could follow Jesus. Even they could be used mildly by God in order to change their workplace, in order to change their family origin. God, I believe you can do it right now. So we step into this place filled with faith. Why don't you lift your hands and begin to give God uh, praise and begin to give God honor. Begin to shout praises to God until something shifts in your heart until you can understand that it's not just Pastor Julian, but even me can encounter a God. We believe in this house. We believe in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. What an incredible message from Pastor Julian. I love this Made for This series. I feel like it's really empowering me to end the year well and yeah. start the next year strong, which also the next year is upon us. It pretty much is. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's about to be December. We hope that you had an incredible Thanksgiving, and we have some discussion questions for you. If you will stay tuned for the questions that are coming up, grab a journal, grab a pen, grab a friend, and discuss these things. The message becomes real when we put it into our hearts, and so hopefully you're taking time to really process what you're hearing. Take some time from your week instead of just moving on to the next yeah. thing, and see what God is saying for you, because I find oftentimes when we do that, he has something that will help me through the week. Yep. So we hope you'll take a moment, do the discussion questions, we love you so much and we'll see you soon.